Welcome to this week's edition of Record Roundtable, where we listen to a band. A band who made some pretty cool music back in the day. They're still making music. We're talking about the Pixies. I know I messed it up. It's fine. <laughs> when did you mess we, it up? We're talking about we, Pixies. We had literally just <laughs> talked about... All right. I know. I mean... I know. It doesn't really matter. Hi, this is Caleb Robinson speaking. I'm here with... Jared. And Tolly. Tex. Ooh. Oh, oh my God. Caleb. I wasn't ready for Tex. <laughs> yeah, I decided I might as well switch it. Neither was the audio. Ooh. Tex. Yeah. Yeah. That's me. And we were Last week it wasn't. Listening to Pixies. Pixies. This week, how do we feel about listening to Pixies? Jared, Tyler. Jared. Tex. I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> I I enjoyed listening to it. I thought I would not like it because uh, I didn't think I liked this group. Mm-hmm. But uh, what was okay? So what was it that you thought that you didn't like? Preconceived notions about the band Pixies. Well, like, like what? Yeah, like I don't think I like this music. <laughs> well, what what, what <laughs> kind of music is it that you think? What did you think it was? Did you you just hear "Here Comes Your Man" and that was it? No, I like that, that song a lot. That is a terrible song. Oh my! Ooh, oh, gotta, you don't even know. The, you didn't already. even hear the original. It sounded version. like. Um, it sounds like a '60s song, and I did not know it was a, like was made in the '90s. I thought that I thought it wasn't the, made in the '90s. It was made in '89. Ooh! And in fact, it was written when Frank was 14 or 15 years old. I, I read that. I did read that. And the original but, version that they recorded, they said we're not doing it because it's too poppy. Mm-hmm. And then when they, re- when they recorded it for Doolittle, they made it less poppy slightly. Just a tinge I thought less. that it was a cover of a 60s song. No. And it sounds like it. They don't do any covers. Mm. Pixies don't do no covers. They do. They have done a couple covers, but you don't know them. They have done covers. I, I read a thing. What I do you know? Did you know them? I uh, No. That's okay. I, I, I mean, I saw that they had did. Uh, there is a good cover, though. We want to get into it? No, we'll get into it later. I don't know. You're, I think this is going to be the only moment in which we're talking about covers, if you want to get I it ha- out of the no, way. No, I have it in my notes. <laughs> Oh, do you? I have two. So co- we're I have two covers in my notes. So maybe okay. one's we'll the same. Okay, okay, we'll, come okay. To we'll come back to covers then. Never mind. Well, I don't care. We can do it now. Oh my gosh! What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Just do the damn thing. Let's do it. Covers, Jared. Right. Go. Gouge away by uh, Papa Roach. Oh, that sounds bad. <laughs> Wait, by Papa Roach? <laughs> yeah. Oh no! It's it's Gauge Away by Papa Roach. Kobe Dicks. <laughs> That sucked, Jared. I know. <laughs> Yuck. It was really bad. I got to bring up Papa Roach, though, on the on Pixies episode, so that's all I really care about. <laughs> you would be happy about that. It's junk. Tex, what you got cover I've got two. I've got a cover of... Where is my mind by Trampled by Turtles? We can play it or not too. play it. I have that one too. That's a good one. We can play it or not play it. That one I'm not that concerned about. So you decide. You what decide. Was, what was the other one? We'll play one of the. The other one, one is TV on the radio covered Mr. Greaves. Ooh, and it's pretty good. It was on their initial EP, Young Liars. Jared has another cover. I do. Go ahead. Oh, this is the one. Actually, this is the one that I want to play because this is the. Fine, don't play my seconds again. Oh, I'm sorry, you're right. Play the play the TV it. on the radio. Go, do yours. Mr. Greaves. Mr. Greaves. That's it. Here yeah. it comes. I like that they McFerrin did. No, that yeah, yeah. That that is sounded like Reggie accurate. Watts. Their initial works were, yeah, more acapella. Mm, even even in Ockerpeely, even in Desperate Youth. Why did you say Ockerpeely? It's a very old reference to a thing only we would know. <laughs> okay, let's not get into it then. Go ahead, say your other cover, and then we can start talking about actual pixie stuff. Oh yeah. The Harley Poe one, right? Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, say it, Jared. <laughs> yeah. Harley Poe cover. I thought you were just going to start playing it. No. Well, no one knows what it is. Harley Poe covered Where Is My Mind. Wow, who didn't Who didn't do it? Who real, didn't do real it? Real exciting. <laughs> okay. Try this trick and spin it. And then you want you want to get into the other part now, if you want to. Sure, part, we can. We part can, two. Part two, it is. It's much later in the song. I quit. Same song. <laughs> You're so mad. That's the same song. I hate you, Jared. You're so mad. That's a. St- uh, okay, so uh, that's stupid. So we're done with covers now. We're done with covers now. We're not talking about covers anymore. Yes, that's true. Ever, ever again. Let's talk about how we felt about the albums. Yeah, Jared, you said you liked it. You didn't expect that you were gonna like it. I want to ask you, what were your actual notions other than just like two songs? Of what I felt about Pixies? No, like what have you? What did you listen to br- prior to this week? I guess nothing. So well, uh, other than the lead single of Head Carrier and mm-hmm. seeing them live. Okay. Did you not like them live? I did. I enjoyed them live, but I didn't know the music. He that was well. too excited for Weezer. Hmm. <laughs> See, yeah. he knows. Yeah. You're so predictable. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> How about you, Tyler? What did you think? What did I think? Yeah, I like all of it. Pretty much. Indie Cindy and Head Carrier are just okay. They're not that great. But they're all right. I don't think they're as bad as everyone says they are when mm-hmm. you think about it. But the new one, pretty good. We'll get to it later. Mm-hmm. And the first five are just really great. Did you say Indie Cindy? That's the name of the album. Did you listen to it? Uh-oh. Did you miss Indie Cindy? Uh-oh. Jared missed Indie Cindy. Dang it. Oh, no. Bummer. You probably just forgot it. <laughs> it's entirely possible. No, it, I had all these albums downloaded. There's one song that's easily remembered off the second track on Indie Cindy, Greens and Blues. Oh, yeah. It yeah. just sounds like a subdued Pixie song. Yeah, already. It does. So it's the only one that really is most reminiscent to me. That's fair. I didn't. I did not love Indie Cindy at all. It was definitely my least favorite Pixies album. Well, it was my least favorite too, but. Is it a proper album? Yeah. Yes. Oh. It, it was their first, re- it actually it was their first return of, album. It's made up of three EPs. Yes, it oh, is. That's why I didn't listen to it. I didn't think it counted. What? Uh, it's listed. What do you mean you didn't think it counted? You fine. didn't read that far into it. Tolly, how did you feel about all of them albums? Well, I like Surfer Rosa is my favorite one. I also like Doolittle mm-hmm. and then the stuff they did earlier with the purple tapes. So stuff that kind of bleeds in from that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. But I really don't like a lot of their stuff after Doolittle. And I was talking about this a little bit earlier. And I think it's not that it's inherently bad after Doolittle, but the sound goes through a really drastic change more towards a classic rock style. Mm-hmm. And I just don't personally enjoy that sound as much. And what, what did you call that earlier? Which one? The classic rock style. You called it... Like surfer rock? Stuff? No, you call or, it dad rock. Yeah, it's dad rock. <laughs> yeah. they, they get well, they get old. They get into some dad rock stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. they were all. They all. I mean, all of them listened to classic rock. Anyway. Yeah. They asked. You know, at one point he did an interview. Francis did an interview. That's what I'm calling him today. So be aware. You're going with Francis. I'm going with Francis. Okay. He did an interview and he talked about that's what we listened when we all listened to classic rock. So that's what we all, in a way, gravitated towards. Anyway. So. There she goes. There she goes. They, I mean, they were influenced by a lot of different I can realms tell, of music. I can tell you because I wrote it all down. Oh yeah, I did. You what wrote down things? all of their influences. Wow. Yeah. What what kind of things were they influenced by, Mister Tex? Well, Francis was influenced by Husker Du, Beefheart, and Iggy. Yep. During the writings of the earlier works, and then he began actually for uh, for Bossa Nova, and even more for. Trump Lamont, I believe, but I think for Boston Nova, he mentioned he listened to the Beatles' White Album a lot during that, that whole time. I did read that. So, stuff of that nature. Then, Joey was a big fan of Black Flag and 80s Punk. I don't know if you can believe that or not. And he was a fan of Bowie. 
Bowie is also a fan of Pixies. Bowie is a fan of Pixies. He said their work is essentially the most important thing out of the 80s other than like Sonic Youth uh-huh. and uh, what was the other? That's it, Sonic Youth. Was it Sonic? Yeah, that was. I mm-hmm. thought there was something else too. But speaking yeah. speaking of uh, Husker, they're just about the most compelling music of the entire eighties outside of Sonic Youth. Yeah, wow. Yep. So take that, Steve. <laughs> take that, Steve. He's let me down. Uh, mm. yeah, yeah, actually, let's okay. So let's let's start Steve. a little bit with we're we're gonna get there. Let's talk a little bit about the first out. Al- well, the first theoretically proper album, Surfer Rosa. So that album was produced by Steve Albini. Yes. And you, I, I was really excited because I thought that you were going to be really pumped to talk about Steve Albini this I was week. Go, I was going to be pumped to talk about Steve Albini. Let me uh, down. A legendary hey, producer. One of Legend. my favorite producers. In fact, um, I have my computer open, and the last thing I was listening to was Passing Complexion by Big Black. So there you go. There Steve, you go. I'm a fan. And you just ripped my heart out, bud. Ripped it right out. And what did he say? He said, so that they, he, didn't, he was on W2F with Mark Maron. They talked about this briefly. And he said that he really likes Kim, and he has a really good relationship with Kim, and they're dear friends. Uh, but the Pixies are just okay. Mm, nice. So he produced an album by them. It was just like, eh. He did say uh, that uh, some of the ideas that Francis had were really he really liked, and some of like this, these things. But he didn't think he quite pushed it as far as he should have. I could, I mean, I could see Steve Albini thinking that something wasn't pushed far enough. Because he likes to push the envelope quite but a bit. He did also say, you know, all the like chatter recordings that are in Surfer Rosa, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. those are actually put in by Albini. Yeah. He said this is the album where he learned that he just needs to step back and let the like let things form organically and not try to put himself into the album. Well, there's as a really an engineer. there's a really cool rawness to the album because of those. There is, I but think. it wasn't the original intent of the band. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, and he actually said that like now they have to answer to all the stuff they said in those recordings the rest of their lives. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> as if it's a burden. So. Yeah, I could see that. But I, I think I, I agree with Tolly that Surfer Rosa is my favorite Pixies album. I think that majority-wise people would argue that the best and most well-received album is Doolittle. But I think that Surfer Rosa just has a certain... I, I think that something it's about... Raw. It's more raw, but I think that Pixies are a band that are made out of the fact that they have so much personality. And I think that the personality shoot showed the most through Surfer Rosa. And I think that once they started cleaning up their sound a little bit, I think that their personality started to wane away. And it was more of a focus on the sound than it was on the group. That's my perspective. Yeah. To each his own. To each its own, indeed. I would disagree, but that's okay. There is a big... Online, there's a discussion over Surfer Rosa versus Doolittle, which is better. Pitchfork gave both a 10. Yes. They're both... Doolittle is probably the more... I don't know. I don't know if you could say more well-known. I mean, more people know Where's My Mind than know Debaser, but most mm-hmm. people who like Pixies, even just a little bit enough, would say that they definitely know Doolittle. Mm-hmm. But Surfer Rosa stood out as a debut, quote-unquote. So, I don't know. They're neck and neck. Surfer Rosa is my favorite as well. So Okay. That's that. But I don't think they lost it. Of course, they had a $10,000 budget for Surfer Rosa. Mm-hmm. They had a forty thousand dollar budget for Doolittle. You can hear the difference. Yeah, you, you can, can definitely hear the difference. So, which is whatever. I don't think it loses anything. To me, it doesn't lose anything on Doolittle. The songs and the thing is too. And I was mentioning this earlier, before four, three or four songs from Surfer Rosa came from the Purple Tape, and many of these songs, such as of course, as we talked about, here comes your man, and then in fact, UMass all the way on Trompe Lemon were written like Trump, UMass was written when. Frank and Joey were at UMass. Yeah. So, which was before any of this even happened. Right. So a lot of this, like, you know, some of this music that he wrote has been spread out throughout the whole albums, you know? So there's always tiebacks to songs that were written in a different time on all of them. I think that's part of what makes those five albums so cohesive. Yeah. Well, okay. So let me ask you this. And I, I know the answer that I have, and I don't know if other people have a different answer, what do you think it is? So, Surfer Rosa and Doolittle are the two neck and neck albums, basically. What is it about Bossa Nova and Trompe Lamond? Is that how you pronounce it? Mm-hmm. Trompe Lamond. What is it about those two albums specifically, before we kind of jump forward into their newer work, that make it those two albums not as well respected, not as well received? 
Uh, I think it's it's probably a mixture of a couple of things. On both of those albums, you see the like the harshness of some of the guitars start to mellow out. Mm-hmm. You see a little more evenness in the distortion. You also see they're known as like a like they were described, for instance, as surf rock meets Iggy Pop, mm-hmm. and you hear that you can hear surf rock elements in Surf Rosa and in Doolittle and in Come On Pilgrim and in some songs, but then you really hear more of those of like the the classic surf rock elements that aren't twisted as much in Bossa Nova and a little bit in Trump Trump They also change and start like focusing on, for instance, the first two albums, the lyrical content was a little bit different. So the lyrical content was pretty brash. Uh, and it was just, the, the songs don't have any meaning for them. Not all of them, but for the most part, sure. A lot of the lyrics are more like each line could have its own meaning mm-hmm. as compared to the entire, the entire work. When you get into Bossa Nova, you're getting away from like the oddities in terms of dealing with mutilation. They're dealing with a lot of biblical violence, um, incest, various like weird sexual things in some ways. Mm-hmm. And they focus on some other stuff and Bossa Nova and Trump Lamont have a lot more of things that deal with sci-fi, deal with otherworldly, just like fantasy type stuff. So I'm not sure if that had something to do with it. But I think it's just like you have a lot. To, you've created two albums that unbeknownst to some people have a lot of like overlapping and they're not they weren't done super set like very far apart from each other no no not at all the surfer rosa was in 88 right. doolittle was nine or 89 bossa nova 90 trump Lamont 91 it was just back to back to yep. back to back to back but then when you come back in post 89 you don't have all of that same material it's just a shift because these albums can be tied. Trump Lamont and Bossa Nova can be tied. Mm-hmm. Doolittle and Surferosa can be tied. Mm-hmm. But there's still a lot of stuff that t- that comes over into Bossa Nova from Doolittle as well. But they also add different types of pop. You know, Dig for Fire is a really poppy song that's on Bossa Nova. That has kind of a feel that you don't necessarily hear on the earlier two things. So it's just a little bit of a shift. And, and I mean, critically... Those two are both in the nines, for instance, on Pitchfork, you know, Trump Lamont and Bossa Nova. Critically, anyone who you talk to who wants to talk critically most of the time will tell you all five albums in the initial iteration of the band are near perfect. And collectively, as a discography, it's pretty close to perfect in that sense. Yeah. I think there are a couple other more internal factors and like externally related events that also contribute at least to why there's such a shift in my perception of popularity post Doolittle. So one, which is one I think Caleb is going to mention, is that the band in and itself after their second album was really experiencing a lot of tension Mm -hmm. internally, specifically with Kim Deal and her ability to have a creative influence on the album. And so although she was never really the primary lyricist or the primary person involved in shaping their style, I think the tensions that was created between her and the other band members in particular put a lot of strains on the production of the music and kind of the sound in a lot of very implicit ways. And I also think going back to what you're talking about, how a lot of the songs from the prior two albums were written earlier, really when you hit like that 89, 90s period, you're seeing the nice thing about Pixies originally was they were a little bit ahead of the curve with sort of bringing this sort of garage punk sound to the United States, like Sonic Youth existed. But really bands like Nirvana took a lot of influence from Pixies later mm-hmm. on. But when you get to their third album and onward, you're seeing kind of that style really infiltrate sort of the, the mainstream like punk, post-punk culture at the time. So I think that another challenge that they're facing moving on third album and beyond is that their sound is no longer as unique and I think they made an artistic choice perhaps purposely or just as a product of writing new material at that point to try to be ahead of their curve again and not just be another band that had the same sounds at that very turn of the 90s because like if you listen to Doolittle it's very similar to some early Nirvana works and Smashing Pumpkins and things like that as well Mm -hmm. so I think one of the weaknesses in my mind for the third album and up is that they are departing from their original sound but I think justifiably it was done because it was meant to be different and unique than what was present at that point in time as well. Yeah, once the, the dynamic aspect, you know, there's like multiple parts of their music that was easily, in, you know, taken, recreated, and then it fueled the alternative boom that we saw in the early 90s. And that's a good point that it does start to drown out certain things, especially with the fact that 
it, it, the, as the market became oversaturated as well with music that was based off of you know some of this stuff, the loud, quiet, loud dynamic that they it, it's it had always been around, but not to the degree that they utilize it in a sense, right? You all right, Jared? I think I think he might have been okay. So I, it might be worth elaborating on the loud, quiet, loud because I thought you might bring it up. I had a feeling you would bring it up, but I think it's worth talking about. Let's do it. Do it. I thought you. That's why I thought you had something to say about. No, it. No, I thought I figured you would oh. want to talk about it. It seemed like yeah. it was something that's within your wheelhouse well, for sure. sure. Um, you know, it. I mean, I guess people who, for instance, I took guitar lessons and whatever, and I played in the band once, and I was I was told over and over that you have like that this is an important dynamic to understand. Right? Is minimizing you get you put the volume in the catchy part or the part you want people to remember. So, but it wasn't always like so popularly used and I guess I hadn't thought about it, but when you think about it, I mean, there's a lot of music that doesn't change dynamic, you know, it's pretty steady throughout the entire song. Pixies had a thing and it, and they didn't always do it at the hook, which is what's really interesting, but they utilized the dynamics of sound in terms of creating two different, like distinct portions of a song. And they used it vocally and they used it through guitars and they used it through the amount of instruments in the layering that they had. So it's pretty interesting. They didn't always do quiet verses and loud choruses. Sometimes it was reversed. Right. Sometimes, for instance, on uh, Bone Machine, you know, you start out with the bass and drums, and then like 15 seconds it kicks right into, you know, and you're already blaring. And it goes back and forth. And in fact, the the loud portion of Bone Machine isn't at the the chorus, which is just a one-line where the only thing you can really pull out on the top of it is the lyrics. So mm-hmm. it's a, it was an interesting dynamic that wasn't used as often as we think about it now. And it permeated and it's used all the time now, especially in rock and alternative rock. And, you know, because it really draws energy into the portion of the song you want people to pay most attention to. Right. It also took a couple years for that to catch on in the States, too, which is why you don't see that dynamic being utilized towards the early 90s. But if you actually look, the Pixies actually had a pretty salient European fan base Mm -hmm. a lot more immediately than they ever did in the States. And I think that's an interesting thing because a lot of European artists were inherently more experimental in the way that they actually constructed their songs. I think that's another interesting component to it. Yeah, they were more popular in Europe. All right. You want to talk about Kim then? You know how Kim got in the band? Yes. Please. So he, Mr. Francis, as you've so dearly called him, he put out an ad in a newspaper. And it was for people that enjoyed Peter, Paul, and Mary and Husker Du. Yep. Those are the two. Yep. And to be able to play bass guitar. And they had to be a woman. And they had to be a woman. That was the thing? Oh, I didn't even see that part. Yeah. Okay. Female bassist. Kim was the only one that showed up. Kim Deal. And uh, she did not come with a bass. She, she did not. Play she bass. did not she know, did know how, to, not play know how bass. to play bass. No, she did not know how to play bass. And but she they, did like. They the got music. her anyways. Did she did right. like the music? Well, she borrowed her sister's, and there you go. Yeah, and then she borrowed her own sister for her band. Well, yeah, hey, that's true. And she also, uh, in, she also borrowed. You know, early on they toured with Throwing Muses, and she borrowed mu- members from Throwing Mus- Muses for Breeders as well initially. Mm-hmm. And the lead singer of Throwing Muses, Kirsten Hirsch. Spoke, I saw like a little interview she did, and she had a quote in there that was kind of funny. When she was talking about tour with them, she said that uh, Charles, which was Francis' born name, Charles has a really soft, <laughs> he was really soft and pretty, and he screamed like a girl, but with real guts behind it. When he started singing about his penis, I figured out that none of them were lesbians. <laughs> That's an interesting quote. Uh-huh. I found it fun. But my, so my perspective is, is that Kim brought a lot of the personality as well. And I think that the dynamic between her and Black works really, really well. And I think that it was most prominent on those first two albums. I think that she, her presence was very much less felt on Bossa Nova and Trump Le Monde. And I think that with, and I think that that's one of the big reasons why their albums have just not stood out to me as much from those is because of the fact that the dynamic between the two of them was so important to their sound. Yeah. And, th- and Steve mentioned on that too, that he just really likes the way that Kim thinks about music, for instance. And she has an interesting way that she thinks about it. And you can hear it come out. You've always been able to hear it come out in the bass because essentially everyone, you know, 
Francis wrote the music, but then you bring it in and everyone adds their part to it. And it's not like anyone sure. ever didn't add their part to it, right? Uh, he just, she wasn't a predominant songwriter because he's a control freak type of person. Mm. So, you know, she had her part and she added a lot to all of their stuff. And a lot of people thought it wouldn't be the same without her anyway. So that was a big deal. But what do you think? Okay, so like, what do you think? Mention, let's talk about breeders briefly, if you will, if you're all right with that. Sure. I, I, couldn't, I, could not, of, I could not imagine being in a creative outlet and somebody being a control freak. That would be out of... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can't imagine. I think, I think that might have been a stab at somebody yeah. I know. Let's talk about breeders. <laughs> Let's do that. Let's jump in the pool. Cannonball and all. I'm not really that familiar with breeders. Well, you should give them a listen. Cannonball had a, they just did a uh, release for the 20th anniversary not long ago, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. They had an album it's come quite out. Quite good. And I got it. What two years ago? Yep. Or something like that. Two years ago. It's pretty decent. I've got both of those. They're good. They breeders shares more of an all like an alternative feel. What I think of right. alternative rock in the 90s, breeders has more of that feel. And it's it's a little more. There's a slightly some more. Um, the layering is a little bit different because it's not so harsh. So certain things come out a little bit differently. Um, I don't know. I I don't. I think that they're on par, in my opinion. Um, I wish that she had an opportunity to create more songs, but it, you can't. It's not the same thing, as well. So and we talked about this last week, how, you know. How do you justify so much change and and attempt to remain the same artist? Right. right? Uh, when everything's been influenced in a certain way and when your sound's been established in a certain way. Um, and I don't think, and I, and I can't say to it, of course, because I wasn't there, but what I know about what Kim created after, you know, outside of it in Breeders, I don't think it would have fit into that band. You know what I mean? And I don't, sure. and I think that that's better for her all in all. Even if she had more influence in writing, if they had some of her songs, which she did write. By the way, she's from Dayton. Oh, is she? She's from Dayton. Dayton, Ohio. She wrote a couple of songs she wrote. She co-wrote Gigantic. I don't know why I couldn't think of it. Co-wrote Gigantic. Of course, she sings on it. The bass line is very prominent in that song. Right. And then she also co-wrote... You know what song she wrote? Silver. She wrote the song Bam Thwok. She did. You know what? I it was a single a th- release. Yep. Let's play a little bit of that song. I'm not sure. Perhaps Shrek 2? Is it on? Is it in Shrek 2? <laughs> it was written for Shrek 2, but they didn't put it in the movie. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> Interesting. How did you slip that in? Following their reunion in 2004, DreamWorks were trying to get a song uh, from the Pixies for, the, for a film. I don't know if they knew it was going to be Shrek 2 or not, but... Uh, but yeah, huh? This uh, it's the and old Kim, Kim Kim wrote that one. Yeah, she wrote, wrote that little ditty. She wrote and sang um, that that song. I thought that was thing. Francis singing. It's a joke because it was a woman. <laughs> okay, so I think that it's worth transitioning a little bit more into some of the newer stuff. I think that it's worth talking about what worked and what didn't work on the newer stuff. But before we do that, we haven't played a whole lot of music. Does somebody want to say what their favorite song was? Anybody? Play Tony's theme. Oh, I love Tony's theme. What do you get off of that one, Tolly? What do I get off of it? Yeah. 
To be honest, I like that it reminds me quite a bit of another band. I like the Violent Femmes. Mm-hmm. So I like the sound ah, parallels yeah. between those. Yeah. That's totally fair. That's totally fair. Mm-hmm. I agree. So probably objectively not their best song. Would not try to make that argument. But just a personal favorite. Personal favorite. That's okay. I have a lot of songs off of the first two albums that I think are personal favorites, and I struggle to decide which one is my all-time personal favorite because there's a, f- a few that stand out to me quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So I know that Gigantic is one that always stands out to me. I know that Monkey Gone to Heaven is one that stands out a lot to me. And then I am also... A big baby bitch because I love where is my mind. No, I know, I know. We do. Do you remember Tolly when we you started working on the playlist that we talked about? Yeah, you do remember. So we made a playlist. It's uh, popular songs that don't represent a band. Oh, that's a good list. Yeah. So like uh, we had Closer from Nine Inch Nails. We had that song. What else was on that playlist? Do you remember? Oh, man, they were a lot. It was Not Fresh and Waiting for Death was the playlist title. Okay. It, was, it wasn't... was Oh, Float On by Modest Mouse was Float on Float On by Modest... And so was Dashboard. So was Dashboard. So was Closer by Nine Inch Nails. Uh, what else was on there? Did you hear that? Hear what? I'm pretty sure uh, the ghost of Dax just just spoke to me. Mm-hmm. And what did it say? Did you know that Dax, uh, he's... As we've, we've not brought up yet, and we've been recording about 25 minutes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Dax is not with us today. He's, he's uh, departed us uh, into the great abyss, the Black Francis Abyss. <laughs> and but his ghost has come to me and uh, asked me to play a few things. So okay, play uh, the song "La La Love You." I already know what you're going to say. You know what it is? Yeah, because I mentioned this months ago. You mentioned I this said, months ago. I said, oh, yeah, I ago. forgot one when we did this episode. Oh. And this, and this is it. So. Oh, this is it. Yeah. That you're, Michael Jackson documentary. You're a thief. Go ahead. Boo, 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 boo. That sounds familiar. we. What does it sound like, Jared? When the morning comes. When the morning comes. Then the morning comes. Then the morning Yeah, that's right. It's then the morning comes. All right, comes. time out. Fuck this and fuck Smash Mouth. I'm done. Go. So let's talk about some of the newer music. They had a long hiatus. And I actually, does anybody know what it was that brought them back? It was more like together. A, they wanted the tour, but hiatus. Oh, really. it was the what? Instead of a hiatus, you say bye, hiatus. As in, I'm saying goodbye. Anyways, very good, Jared. <sighs> Anyways, so yeah, they wanted a tour. That's right. I remember. Yeah, now. in '03, they got back together because they wanted the tour. And Kim was touring with them, but Kim was like not even in the same bus as them. Like she was touring with them, but not in the same location they weren't communicating at all well i think she was relatively okay she won the tour things didn't get weird again until francis decided he wanted to write and she's like no oh really yeah so that's when she left didn't they do like a um an itunes exclusive thing like one song and then that was kind of what was the like they recorded a song for itunes and then that was kind of what led them to make another album does that sound right no you could be right. Doesn't sound right to me, but you could be right. Could have missed it. Okay, well. <laughs> uh, so, Jared, you missed Indie City, Indie Cindy, Indie no, Cindy. I, I didn't miss it. Well, you didn't listen to it. Let's pretend I did. So, Indie Cindy is a compilation of three EPs: EP one, two, and three. What did we think about it? I know, Tal, you've already clarified that you don't really like anything outside of the first two albums. Yeah, Indie Cindy is probably my least favorite out of all of the albums. Same. Um, I just don't think it's very rememberable. I think the sound is not terrible, but it falls very flat. It's a very forgettable album, and there's nothing that really stands out about the album as a whole. It's so Especially for- as a comeback album, sort of. Like, since it's this period 
where they've gone through some shifts as a band and they've gone through some tensions. And it's not explicitly a comeback from the perspective of people like consuming the album, but as a band, it's a pretty critical moment. And I think it was a bad time for them to have an album that was the quality that it was. Yeah. I think so. The issues that I found with Indie Cindy, because Indie Cindy was definitely my least favorite, I think that two things really stood out. And one of them is, is that it, the just the tone of the album just feels like a generic alternative rock album and the other one is and i think this is just kind of inherent because of the fact of the way that the album was like constructed is that there's not really any flow to it it was three eps that they had and they don't even it's not even like it's uh like here's one ep here's two ep here's three ep the way that it is is that it's like here's a track from three ep and then here's a track from one and then here's a track from two and then we're back to three and then back to two and then back to so there's no there's no cohesion to the album at all really i feel I like it doesn't count didn't find that to be problematic about the album though their prior no. two albums do not feature a lot of cohesion either because they pull from so many different sounds mm-hmm. that you get very different songs and vibes track from track so i actually didn't mind that the album itself wasn't cohesive which mm-hmm. would normally bother me but i think that like disjointed component to their sound was at least still present in this particular album, and I didn't think that in and of itself was problematic. Okay. Just because I didn't expect that from this album, because that's not normally how they produce their album. Sure, that makes complete sense. Yeah, also my least favorite, but I don't know. There are a couple of standout tracks on there for me that I thought were reminiscent enough to be decent. Such as? Greens and Blues. That kind of just felt like a mellowed-out pixie song, and Blue-Eyed Hex was pretty good, too, really. Let's play a little bit of Greens and Blues. Okay. A little overproduced but yeah it's not but also it doesn't sound i mean if you shut your eyes and, and don't think about what you're listening to for a second because it's not the same the band's not the same mm-hmm. that's the point yeah. i think in a lot of ways they have essentially matured into a little bit of a of a more mature sound that is poorly worded matured so. into a mature sound. yeah no they have aged into a more mature sound as time goes on especially when you hear them after such sort of a long break period i think it was a very conscientious choice because the culture is different the band members at very different times in their life i mean several yeah. i think two of the band members at this point had children yes. and were fathers at this point so i think it's natural that they were aiming to do a sound that was not really alongside bands like Sonic Youth and Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins, because that's not who they are as people anymore. Right. And that's actually not what contemporary alternative music as a movement represents anymore. That makes complete sense. Yeah. And, well, uh, Francis had a solo career between there as well. Yes, he did. In the hiatus, which he did his own thing. Also, if you listen, I don't know, for what it's worth, whether it's worth it or not, um, as the premier songwriter... And then in collective, in joint interviews, the other members will also, you know, say the same. They've never written songs f- with intents of anything. Uh, they've always wanted to write a song that just they thought was a good rock song that people liked, that they had fun writing and playing. And I don't know, you know, early on, it was enjoyable, and they enjoyed the attitude of like, this is not what, you know, we're going to do something different because that's fun for us, and that's what we enjoy doing. And I don't know if the... I don't think they ever went at anything from what I've seen with the intent to do what they did. So I don't know. Sometimes I just feel like they're just writing songs because they, you know, they feel like it and whatever, whatever comes to it is whatever, you know, whatever comes to them and whatever becomes of it is what it is. So what it is. I saw that coming. I really felt that. Sure. Can. Sure. Can. Are we on to head carrier yet? Yeah. We can talk about Head Carrier. I got a little bit more off of personality off of that album. I think that I think that unfortunately Head Carrier carries some of the dead weight of Indie Cindy because of the fact that like I listened to Indie Cindy and then I was kind of disappointed and so I went into Head Carrier kind of like already like mm, here we go another Pixies album that I'm going to be a little bit disappointed in. But like I think that once I actually started listening, I was like, okay, this is this is definitely more in line with what i would like to hear from them 
as a follow-up to their previous work. I liked it. I liked the lead single, the the Um Chagalaga song. That was pretty good. And I also, I got a little uh, little thing, a little, a little message from the Ghost of Dax. I, I like that you have these introductions. Your little... Play the song, All I Think About Now. A little bit of a callback to their own music. That sounds familiar. Yeah. It's the same riff. No. Sounds like the same riff. It's not, though. It sounds like the same riff. Sounds familiar. It's got similarities. It is similar, but it's it's not. Mm -hmm. We'll let Dax decide when he comes back from the grave. You play guitar? No, you do. <laughs> it's not the same riff. <laughs> I mean, it's it's got elements of it's it. Not, you can it's see not, it. I think that it's it, not even like the. I'm not talking about where your fingers are on the strings. It's not fingered the same in terms of how you're moving. Tyler, none of us are fingered the same. <laughs> well, well. So, Tolly, well. what, what did you get anything more off of Head Carrier than what you got off of Indie Cindy? Then you yeah, said you I liked li- it better. I liked Head Carrier more. I agree that if they had swapped sort of the order and Head Carrier had been the album that came out first, I probably would have liked it more. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed Balls Back from this album in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't anything I actively disliked from Head Carrier. But again, it's just a departure so much from that original sound. I don't think it's inherently bad. I enjoy when they flash back to it in some of their songs. Mm -hmm. But it's just not my particular cup of tea at this point in their career. Sure. That makes complete sense. The lineup had steadied at that point as well. So, you know, Kim left when they decided they wanted to write. They had a a stand-in for Indy Cindy for most of the recording for that. Mm -hmm. By this point, Paz was the... Basis Paz Lynchanton. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. You're good. And she was performing, touring, what have you. And so she was, you know, into a solid lineup at this point where you can. And she's a good. She is a good bassist and a good musician. So. Yeah. Before we. Okay, really quickly. Before we get into the final album, Tali has said her favorite track. I have mentioned my favorite tracks. We already talked about those. Tyler, do you have a favorite track? From Pixies in general? No. No favorite? No. You have no favorite You just, you just song. like them all? I like almost all of them. Okay. What about Jared? You can play one if you want, but... Well, what is well, your I least favorite? Think about it. Yeah, play your least favorite. Uh, I'd have to think on that one, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jared, you got one? I'm going to say, Here Comes Your Man. <sighs> Ooh, Talia said. That's my, that's my guess. That's Here. one of my go-to karaoke songs. Ooh, that's good. Let's hit it. Holly is rolling her eyes in the back of her head. What don't you like about it? I just don't understand why. This is such a departure from everything else they've ever done. They come up with this one song. It's so poppy. I hear the Beatles influence really heavily, which do credit for. But admittedly, even the band did not like producing this song. And it's their one of their most popular songs. And so you hear it constantly. Mm-hmm. So I feel like part of my issue is that it's I don't understand why it exists. And it's so <laughs> popular. And it just... I don't understand, and it just bothers me. What do you think about, because really one of the things that Pixies does well is they overlay kind of interesting, a little bit like different for the time period chord progression. Yeah. Uh, a, a lead guitar that's more based off of like a memorable melodic riff as compared to some type of impressive speed or solos. And they utilize those tools to produce pop songs mm-hmm. that you don't know are pop songs. Mm-hmm. Every song 
has a lot of pop elements and there's always a pop a whole pop section in a lot of them thoughts so is your question essentially what are my thoughts on their choice to do that with this song in particular well, what do you think about the fact that you know pop the pop they is so heavily well, driven I, yeah I, through the entire course of their careers and in those early ones there's a lot too well i actually really enjoy that and i think that goes back to the fact i also really enjoy new wave which kind of takes a very similar approach to twisting pop music and adding a new innovative touch to it so i like when they overlay pop elements to their songs so i think there's a reason that pop is essentially popular music and i think it can be leveraged and utilized really well i think that in particular, Here Comes Your Man, and maybe one of the reasons I don't like that is because I think they oversaturate the song and the sound with that. And there's a little bit of almost interesting amount of satire that comes with utilizing pop elements in non-pop songs, and I feel like it's just hard to detect the nuance in that song. It just authentically feels hollow compared to when they utilize pop elements in other songs. All right. You felt good about that answer, didn't you? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. So let's talk about the final album. Final album being the fact that they just released this week a new album. That's why we're here. Yes. I had one you could play if you want to. Yeah. Do you want to do it? Sure. Tame. Tame. I like Tame quite a bit as well. Mm -hmm. Tame is a good track. So here's something that I want to ask Jared about. Jared, what did you think about the the podcast? I don't know that you ever listened to it, but just the concept of it, I guess. Do you know about it? What podcast? The Pixies. It's a podcast. Do you know about this? No. No? Oh, never mind that. I thought that you knew about this. I listened to the first episode today. What is it? What is it? Oh, please. Tyler, go it's ahead. A it's podcast. a podcast that it's essentially I, I don't know seven eight episodes something of that nature short you know one season uh, that essentially chronicles the making of this new album. Oh, They're yeah. essentially like live sections of day to day bits of recording this new album thrown into thirty minute forty minute segments. It's yeah. a pretty cool concept, I think. Yeah, I thought I thought that it seemed like something that you would have like known about and would have thought was interesting. I guess. I did not know. Well, and now I you do know. Do find it interesting? Good. I'm glad. Good. So, beneath the ire, yeah, I, beneath the ire, we'll call so. it, we'll call it that. I ire. think that that's correct. I think that that's correct, and it's fine. It's fine. I got like a lot of southern elements off of this album. Like it feels feels like kind of western and outlawy. It's kind of felt like a weird. You know where it was recorded? Felt like a Nick Cave album a little bit. Oh, did you think so? A little bit of, like, the, some of the song titles, some of the, the In the Arms of Mrs. Mark of Cain. Catfish Kate Catfish seems like something Kate. he would do. Yeah. You hear a little bit of Southern Rock and Head Carrier, too, though. Daniel Boone. Like, you do hear a little bit of that influence yeah. starting there at that point. That's yeah, interesting, do. because Kim, that's what I mentioned earlier, she wrote Silver the, next to the penultimate track on Doolittle, and Kim's from Dayton, and her background was actually country. Oh, and that's why if you, I mean, if you listen to Silver, it sounds like a country song, hmm. uh, sets the tune of Pixies. So I don't know. I wonder if they. I find that interesting because they do bring some of those elements out in other places, and I thought it was interesting. And wondering if, like, I don't know, maybe they just felt like doing it for the sake of missing certain elements that she might have brought at one point that are just not there anymore. Yeah, I think that this was definitely my favorite of the three albums that they have released since their return i think it was the it's still quite a departure from their original sound for sure it has elements of their original sound for sure but i think that there is something very distinct about it but at the same time there's a lot more personality you get a lot more of it uh feeling that black is actually interested in what he's doing i think that to it i think there's a little bit of me that feels like his vocals are a little hollow in the first two albums when they return that he's just kind of like I don't want to say he's phoning it in, but I just don't feel like he's having the same level of fun with the way that he performs. And I think that he's kind of subdued himself in some way. I think that I get some levels of being subdued off of Beneath the Ire, but I think that he is doing something more vocally in terms of 
feeling something from the music and actually like getting into it, I guess. He's pu- definitely pushing his vocals a little more. His voice has changed a lot, so yes, it has. That makes it difficult, but he's he has more, you know, screeching, if you will, screeching, S- screaming, yeah, like what he used to do occasionally, yeah, a little more of like you know some of that in thrown into there. But they have, for instance, um, Saint Nazaire. The intro to that's got that mm-hmm. sweet little surf rock type feel that reminded me of Cecilia Ann. Mm-hmm. They've got a lot of things that, a lot of little elements that harken back to previous sounds and go back to some of like, you know, the surf rock bits and even just a little bit of like layering in a different way that's more reminiscent of older works. Yeah. In this album, I thought it was pretty decent, really, for what it was. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I agree that it was the the best of the most recent. Yeah. Jared? I liked it. Yeah. Yes. Thoughts? I like the single, the lead single on Graveyard Hill is good. That was my favorite as well. Mm. I also like I like Daniel Boone. Second title. I like I like the album. This is a pretty good album. I'm glad that they came back to do more music. And I like this album made me feel more so that I would be looking forward to a Pixies album. Like after because I listened to all of their music prior to Beneath Iyer coming out. And once I got through Head Carrier, I was like, man, I'm really not that excited about this new album now. I feel a little bit, like, deflated. Like, I'm not going to really enjoy this as much as I think that I'm going to. And so, when, like, pr- prior to listening to all this music, I hadn't really listened to Head Carrier all the way through. Hadn't really listened to Indie Cindy all the way through. So I wasn't as familiar with that music. I thought I was going to, like, love everything because what I'm really familiar with are those first two albums. I've listened to Bossa Nova, but it's been a while so on and so forth. Been a while. Been a while. Um, and so I'm glad that I was not disappointed in this new album. So if you haven't listened to it yet, it came out very recently. Very, very recently. Go check it out. So yeah. Do we have any um, any last things to say about Pixies at this point in time? Or I, I did read an interesting thing. That yes. by the time Bossa Nova had, had come out, Bossa Nova... They did not want to do music videos. They're, they had an aversion to them. Mm-hmm. So in the music video for Here Comes Your Man, they refused to lip sync. So both Francis and Kim just opened their mouths wide open. Ah, and, and that's how they did the video. True. And MTV said that that was one of the reasons why they didn't have as much airplay. Right, their aversion. In, in the 90s. Is there, yeah, they didn't want to do them. Huh. Well, they so. were supposed to play on top of the pops in England. And, I saw that too, yes. And they didn't because they didn't want to make a music video for the song they wanted to play. They they, they made a very cheap one. Yeah, so they did. And yeah, and they wouldn't take it. So it, was, it ended. They didn't do it. So, yeah. So, yeah. Anybody else? Everybody feel pretty satisfied? I think this was a good week. Tolly, thank you for coming in. Yeah, of course. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate your, your content. I appreciate... You, 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 you being on old record round table. Thank you. Yeah, of course. I'm going to close it out. Stop. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Record Roundtable. We've been talking about Pixies. Next week, we're going to be talking about Bright Eyes. It's going to be a really good time. See you then. Bye-bye.